0: Okay, so um, welcome Anna. Um, Anna is an author and a creativity coach. Uh, She's based in Sweden but she works with women all around the world Um, and she is, the reason that I wanted to talk to her today is that she is the author of The Creative Doer um, which is um, subtitled A Brave Woman's Guide from um, Dreaming to Doing Uh, and so that's really going to be the subject of our conversation today. Um, but before we get started, Anna, could you give us just a little bit of background about how you came to be a writer? I know you were a publisher beforehand. Um, so just uh, a little bit of your history, please. Yeah, sure.
1: Well, I, I started a long time ago studying literature and language at the university. Those were my loves. have always been my loves. Been reading and writing since forever, and after those studies, I well, I got picked off by a publishing house, and I worked there as a acquiring editor for for a few years, which was, I mean, great. It's, it's a dream come true, really, for a bookish young girl. Uh, but what happened was that I got more and more interested in in the creative process rather than just producing books you know
0: yeah
1: uh in working with the writers and and everyone around it, it, it that that was what, what i found found myself being really interested in and then i also realized that you know the creative process is is the same regardless of creative expression you can be a writer or a painter or, or even like an entrepreneur actually and and the creative process of, of
0: having an idea and bringing it into form that process is the same mm, and that's something I really noticed reading the book actually was that it yeah. could be you could slightly change the focus of it and it could be a book about entrepreneurship actually yeah it. that's yeah. true I'm obsessed with both parts so, <laughs> so <laughs> you and me uh, both so <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so I just I mean I started writing about that started a blog and and I started mentoring writers and and
0: other creatives eventually, entrepreneurs as well. And so at some point did you make a decision to completely walk away from the publishing career that you yeah, had? I did. And no one understood what I was doing
1: at that <laughs> time because yeah. it, like it's a good career. And they offered me all sorts of perks and, and promotions and all that for staying but i was you know i tend to be really obsessed i i like zoom in on on one thing in this case the creative process creative women entrepreneurship uh and it's like i have it's all in for me it's always Mm -hmm. been like that and that's really unpractical sometimes but that's what that's what made me decide to to start my own business instead of working at the publishing house. And, and I did decide to leave. And that was also related to wanting to leave the city. Uh, so I did, I left that fancy career and I started the journey that I'm still on uh,
0: with this business. Um, and so how long ago is it that you left the city? Uh, roughly? It's, um
1: Seven years now since we moved, I started the business like, well, actually I started my my editing business like that's almost 12 years ago now, but I shifted it into this Mm -hmm. focus um, eight years ago. And then seven years ago, we left the city and ended up here in the countryside. And um, it has evolved from that. And what happened with it was that I noticed first of all, like women were drawn to my work. I didn't specifically address women at first, but that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I come from a background where I've always had this feminist awareness. I've always, I read about it a lot. I've been active in different NGOs and, and so on. And so I always have that, those glasses on, so to speak. And I began to look at also this the conversation about creativity about the artist uh, with those classes on and I, I I found it weird you know that why don 't we talk about this in relation mm. to creativity why do we like and the inequalities that we face out in the world today that has to do with gender or race or class and all that, all that is present in the creative world as well. So why don't we talk about it? Like, Why don't we talk about the problem that most of the stories we hear about the creative life is a story of a male creative? Like, or that most of the writers or, or artists or creatives that win awards, they're male, they're men. And if
0: they're not men, they're women who don't have children more often than not as well.
1: Right, right. And and like 90 to 95% of, of the artists represented in galleries and museums worldwide, they're men. Yeah. Male creatives make more than the female counterparts. It's, it's, it's everywhere, but we don't talk about it. And it, it bothered me.
0: You have so a great, 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 great quote in the, in the book about... Um, where somebody's holding Dostoevsky up as this ideal of devotion to his work. Um, And then, you know, um, part of that devotion is the fact that he was able to still create all of his books whilst having, was it 12 children? Yeah. Um, and, And then you're pointing out that perhaps his wife takes the credit for that element.
1: Right. It was like, oh, he has 12 kids and he still managed to create. So having kids is not an excuse. And I was like, Hold off a bit here. What about Dostoevsky's wife? <laughs> Could she have made that choice?
0: Yeah. No. So um, let's
1: talk about that. And that's why I wrote the book, basically. And I, I, I think
0: there's, there's a, a beautiful um, quote from you in the book about wanting to know what devotion to art would look like right. for a woman. Um, and uh, that seemed to me to be very much what the, the book is about. Right. Yeah.
1: If we want to, like, if you find yourself a mother and all the stories about the devoted artists are about, like, people, men mostly, who disappear into their art for, like, six months at a time or who disregards all the worldly responsibilities, so to speak, how are you going to identify with that story? How are you going to do it? If you actually, you have kids around you and you don't, <laughs> you don't have any plans on abandoning them or like stepping outside of your everyday life, like, how are you going to do it? I want to find new role models. I want to find like a different path.
0: Mm, I think it's so important as well. I've been doing a series, a series of research calls with women who are interested in writing a book, but haven't actually started yet. Yeah, um, And the, well, a couple of topics have come up a lot but one that has come up a huge amount is this belief that unless they can kind of take six months off from their life they can't write a book and I can completely understand where that belief comes from because that's the cultural um, explanation of what it's like to go away and write a book because Um, that's what they used to do yeah yeah. they could do it we can't so how are we going to do it I mean that's the question we need to ask yeah um, and I think that's the question that that the book really grapples with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, what what drew you to writing it as a book? I think it already existed as an e-course in your practice. So What made yeah. you want to write it as a book? It started as an e-course,
1: and it's called the Creative Doer. And I do focus a lot on the doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because I want women, like you say, those those, all those women who want to write a book, who has something to express, but they don't do it because they don't know how. I wanted to sort of address those women, get them into doing, because we need those voices and those stories. But at first, as as a course, I start, I I uh, created that years ago, and and I never really addressed these. It was aimed at women, but I never really, I never really spoke about these issues. Uh, those issues that are specifically about being a female, a woman, creative, a woman artist. What is that like compared to being a male or a man artist? Uh, and and that's that sort of itched. Uh, and, and that 's when I felt like there 's more to say here
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and I love the course. The content is good and very like comprehensive, but I wanted to add that layer to it and that perspective and have that be the red thread through that that, that journey from dreaming to doing from dreaming to doing for women for mothers. Mm-hmm. For people who are kind of fed up with that idea of the, the male
0: genius and, and the way he does it uh so and so it's that, not just excluding to mothers either i mean it's excluding no. to people who um have other caring responsibilities or right. um, you know maybe for elderly family members or whatever uh, or dealing with chronic illness or you know there's so right. many people who can't for various reasons um go off to a cabin in the woods for six months and have them Most and of their us laundry can't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So, so that's that's what I began to add. First, I just thought I'm going to make, like it's going to be the course, but in, mm-hmm. in the shape of a book, but
0: it turned out to be like
1: 50% new material. In mm, the book.
0: Yes, I really wanted to ask you about that because quite a few of my clients are interested in... Um, you know, they have an e-course and that one of the things that they're thinking about doing is adapting that e-course into a a book. So I'd love to talk to you a bit more about how that process works. So you started off kind of assuming that you were going to bookify the e-course. And then you discovered that that you were kind of going to start again, almost.
1: Right. I love how, how the creative process is like that often. We think, okay, so this is the project. This is the goal. And then we start and it evolves into something Mm -hmm. completely different. And I trust that process a lot these days. I've been through it so many times. And I know that if I follow those leads, then the end result is going to be something better than what I had figured out when I started. So, yeah, I started thinking, I'm just going to compile this, basically, (laughs) into the shape of a book. But it wanted to be expanded on. I wanted to explore and bring in this this feminist perspective into it, and so it grew. And I also removed some aspects that I didn't think was I didn't find them as relevant. Uh, and so so the, the end product is is quite different from the cause that it originated from.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even and though that, that-, that process from dreaming to doing those step by step things are, are still, we're there. still in there. Yeah. yeah.
0: And how did you find the process of writing the book? I know that you um, had some um, advice from other people in terms of the self-publishing side of things and um, so on. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because it's that kind of nitty-gritty that I think people, until they've done it, it kind of seems quite mysterious. They're not sure what steps they would take. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, I see that as two different processes. I mean, one is writing the book, Mm -hmm and all that goes into that. I, I mean, I've been an editor for so many years and writer's coach. I know everything about the, <laughs> the process. I know the ups and downs and what to think of and so on, but it's, it's a different thing doing it yourself. And I knew that even though I have, I have that experience and that expertise, I still need someone else's eyes on it. So, mm. it's, so I worked with, I found people to give me feedback. Mm. Uh, and, and worked with a copy editor and so on. Uh, but then there's that whole production phase of the book. Mm. And I mean, I worked on a publishing house, but it's it's a whole different thing when you decide to do it yourself. Like when you're in a publishing house, you have all these different professionals coming in.
0: And whole departments, not just one individual. Well.
1: Exactly. It's the person designing the book. It's the person like formatting it for for print and then there's the printer and then there's the it's a whole (laughs) lineup of people it's a team Mm -hmm. and and now you are going to either fill all those roles depending on your budget or you need to bring in all those people and and coordinate the whole project and and it's a lot Mm. oh my god I said like, like halfway through it I was like I'm never going to do this again <laughs> but then at the end it's sort of like well it would be stupid not to do it again because now I've sort of now gone you know how through to do it all, yeah I made all the mistakes I know what to do and not to do now
0: but yeah it's a lot of work and can I there ask are, um, yeah, sure. why you decided to self-publish and given that you're you have publishing connections and so on where you didn't want to be traditionally published.
1: Well, it was first the simple answer is that I worked in, in a Swedish publishing house and I write in English. So Mm. it made no sense for them to, to publish it. But then there's also the timeline. I wanted this work out on my timeline, so to speak, and I wanted to be able to move fast. Publishing houses usually have timelines spanning
0: over like, a year and a half mm, and that's when you get to the point of them having agreed to publish it as well so exactly um usually talking i would say about three years from yeah. where you probably were at the point of starting to write
1: right very long cycles yeah and then there's also the the aspect of control i like to decide things myself and and you rel- relinquish some of that control mm. when you're in a publishing house i mean The benefit of that is that you don't have to make all those decisions Mm -hmm. and other people bring in their expertise and so on. And and often they do know better, but Mm -hmm. I have a lot of expertise in in the area. And so I I knew what I wanted and I wanted it this way and I didn't want to compromise. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Led to me doing so much more work, but it also led to me getting in the way I wanted. Of course, there has been compromises along this way
0: as there well are,
1: because yeah. financial issues yeah. and so on but
0: and time issues as well sometimes yeah. it just isn't time right to go through yet another round of revisions or, exactly yeah. it's just at one point it has to be good enough and then you just move on and um when you um when you published were you what happened at that point how did you launch the book into the world
1: right well i one thing that complicated matters for me was that I wanted to publish it basically everywhere at once. Right.
0: That's uh, ambitious.
1: Yeah, <laughs> because I have readers in Sweden, but then there's also readers everywhere in the English speaking world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I wanted everyone to have access. So I had to find a distributor, a printer, and a distributor that would be able to work with that and all the different formats that are standard on different markets and all that it's it's a jungle but i did find one who could do that with a few compromises involved but it could do it and they also in their turn work with amazon and different book sellers on the local markets Uh, so that in itself was a huge deal much more work than i had expected and much more work than if you for instance if you're in the u.s and Just you decide to publish. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That will be a lot easier. You can use Amazon from the get go, or whatever your choice is. There are other independent actors as well. But I choose this route. And to be honest, you know, <laughs> there's that advice that that you should spend like five percent on creating your product, and the ninety-five percent of it launching it, because that's that's where everything is decided, basically. Mm-hmm. You're going to reach the readers. You're going to tell the world that this book exists. You can write the best book in the world, and if no one knows it's there, it's not going to be read. Uh, for me, <laughs> this, as this turned out, doing it all myself, I basically, uh, I'd say, I, I reversed those percentages. <laughs> <laughs> Probably 95 percent producing the book, and then I have like five your last gas <laughs> yeah oh my god yes
0: there there was there was no energy left for a big launch i can say Honestly. but i think um one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you about this was um i read your blog post i think it was a review of the year that talked about this a little bit right um right. and um what I thought was interesting about that was you were also acknowledging the the fact that you still done it, you still created the book and the launch is one opportunity to reach a lot of people, but the book is a it's a legacy thing. It's not yeah. evanescent. Yeah. It's still there. You can still promote it now right. and into the future. And so it's kind of yeah. an investment into your business. Um, yes, and that's a huge difference
1: if you choose the traditional publishing route. Mm-hmm. Because then your book will have a fairly short life, unless yes. it turns into a bestseller and you know, yeah. it keeps itself alive, but otherwise, it's you have like six months yeah. or something, mm-hmm. and then there's the paperback, and, and then it's gone. Yeah, I wanted this book alive for years, I wanted like a partner in my work, mm-hmm. a part of my business.
0: And that's another reason that I wanted to self publish. Mm, that's a really interesting point, actually, because although if you had had a traditional publisher. Um, obviously, you'd have had more support on the marketing and publicity side. But, I mean, I don't know what your experience has been in the publishing houses you've worked in, but the houses I've worked in, um, you know, say there's 10 books coming out in a season, two of those will get 90% of the budget and time allocated to them. And the other eight will get the bare minimum, um, even though um, not necessarily through, like, you know, the the staff will still be dedicated and they'll do the bare minimum to the the absolute best of their... Um, ability and they will try to get more for a book that hasn't got any budget behind it and so on. But the, yeah. the fact remains, if you're not one of the lucky two or whatever the percentage is, you yeah. can still actually get very little in the way of um, marketing and yeah. publicity at the point of your launch. And, and then you really are done for because you haven't had it. Yeah. And, then, that's it. and you that's can't do it later. Yeah. Right. And those lucky two that will
1: get the full, uh, full support. They're rarely first-time writers.
0: No, almost never, unless they're a very kind of sexy debut. Um, yeah. That's been a bidding war kind of situation. Right, right, if there's yeah. this famous person or something yeah. like that.
1: So, so that's so true. It's, um, I I have a bit of an audience. It's, it's not a huge audience at all, but I knew that I had a few people there who were mm-hmm. interested yeah. in this book and that would buy it if I created it. Mm-hmm. If you come from a place w- with zero audience, I think self-publishing, I mean, it's, it, it's going to have to be a part of a bigger project, so yeah. to speak. Uh, finding your audience will be the biggest
0: part of that project. But then that would also be the case potentially to get a publisher to be interested in you is showing that you have some audience yeah. or, or that there is some clear audience that can be marketed to for your work um, exactly so. that tends to be the case these days mm-hmm. so so i
1: mean if you have that audience it, it's not a given anymore that you that you sort of <laughs> it can be taking the long way around uh giving your book to a publishing house mm-hmm when in fact you you could sell it directly to your people, Mm -hmm. given that you have
0: people to begin with. Yeah. And then whatever you do make ultimately from the book, you make it, you don't get seven and a half percent of the net profits of the book. You, you know, um, you have much more financial control as well as the creative control.
1: Right. Right. And then you, I mean, you usually don't get rich from a book anyway. No. margins are small with all the, the middle hands involved. Yeah. But still, you have more control over that aspect as well, the financial aspect of it.
0: And I think that that also means that if, for instance, you were invited to give a talk at some um, festival or some group of your ideal audience, you could choose to give them all free copies. Yeah, exactly. But you couldn't choose to do that in the same way if you'd gone via a traditional publisher. Um, You know, you would have hoops to jump through to be able to do that, and you'd have to spend even more of your own money to be able to do it as well, because you'd have to buy it from them. Um, Other people are involved in in all the decisions. So so you can't just decide, oh, I've been invited to this thing, it was a last minute thing, I'm doing it tomorrow, I'm just going to take 200 books with me and give them away. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't do that. So I, I think. think there are so many layers to the control side of things um and i do think that traditional publishing can be the right thing for some people in some circumstances for sure sure. um but i I think it's the right thing for fewer people than like i think a lot of people hold that up as their dream the thing that they want but actually when you look at all the different levels of creative and financial control you have by um retaining it's your thing um, and I also
1: see this tendency, actually, that, that within the, the traditional publishing route, uh, because I do still have connections there, and I I I noticed that new kinds of publishing houses are popping up, so to speak, where there is more of a, we're going to partner with a writer. Mm. The writer comes to us with an existing audience, perhaps. And when they do, when they have that sort of, marketing power already it's not reasonable that that the publishing house gets most of the profits Mm -hmm. for instance or or make all the decisions and so on so so Mm -hmm. it's it's more of an equal partnership where profits are also split more even Mm -hmm. and then more work are expected on the part of the writer but i think that's a good thing Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that there's a variety And then we also need those traditional publishing houses where a new writer can actually show up uh, without much of an audience, and and if the writing is good enough, they might be picked up, and and then the publishing house do all the heavy lifting. But so we need like the full spectrum. Mm.
0: Absolutely. Um, One other thing that I I would love you to talk about because it was a thing that for me as a reader that I loved the most about the book um, is um, you. And I haven't seen, I've read a lot of books on writing and creativity and so on. I haven't seen it, this idea um, really expressed very much at all, but certainly not in as much detail as you you do. Um, So this idea that um, in order to um, be bold and be creative, Mm -hmm. which is kind of really... Um, evangelized in our culture that, that creativity equals boldness and risk-taking and so on. Right. Um, the idea that you articulate in the book about how important it is to, to kind of build out safety in order yeah. to be able to do that. And I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit just because I think it's such a lovely idea.
1: Yeah. And there are several aspects of that. It's, it has to do with how our brain works, how we access the, the part of the brain that is where creative thinking happens. In order to access that, we actually do need to to feel physically and we need to feel safe. It's not even physically safe. We need to feel safe because the brain doesn't really differentiate between physically safe and and all all the other kinds of all the other levels of unsafety that we experience. It could be emotional or or whatever. So there needs to be a, a basic level of safety for us to even use our full capacity as creative human beings. That's that's one aspect of it. And the other layer to it that, that applies particularly to women is recognizing the fact that in this world, we are rarely safe that way. We aren't safe the way a white male is, for instance is we just have to walk home alone, you know, Mm -hmm. a dark night. And and we know that, we know what I mean, so Mm -hmm. to speak. We always have that awareness. We're not physically safe in this Mm -hmm. world. And I mean, there are layers to that as well. (laughs) If you're a black woman, for instance, you're even less safe and, Mm -hmm. and on and on. But there is definitely a difference between the experience of being a man in this world and the experience of being a woman because our freedoms our freedom to even make decisions about our own bodies about our own finances about our own destinies is is very recently won and in some parts of the world is not yet won. Mm -hmm. so we can't ignore that fact we need to like bring that into conversation and and consider what does that mean? If there is one part of me that is always on alert, how, how can I create the safety needed to, to sort of free that energy and use it in the creative work instead? How can I create spaces where I feel safe enough to for once let go mm. a bit of that control and just lose myself? Because creative work requires losing oneself. And you can't do that if you're always on alert. Some part of you is always on alert. And it's so tricky because we're so used to that. So when I say that... Don't even... We're not even aware of it. Many women say, but no, I'm not always on alert. But then you talk about it a little bit more and, and they begin to notice how they navigate like the workplace and that male colleague who's always a little bit creepy and how they always make... Like they take a detour through the office. There's always, always that awareness.
0: And there's really And the fact why. there's there's so much more punishment for speaking out as a woman. Yes. And yet if you're going to do anything creative and writing is perhaps even the most obvious way in which you do this, you're speaking out. Yes. And, and so the, the, the fear of of judgment on that is enormous, I think
1: yeah i mean women face more repercussions when they're outspoken it's a fact i mean just look at the online world women receive more threats
0: and And and, more violent and more specific as well i think yes and 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 gender
1: related in a way that that the threats and the violence that male outspoken male people my experience in women's case, it's more like it, it, it has to do with the fact that it's a woman speaking out is get back in your place and, and that constant threat of, of, of sexual violence and that's always present. And, and so we need to recognize that to begin with. It's the fact that this fear has as a base in reality. There's a reason why we need to be more on guard why we experience more fear and unsafety in our everyday lives and in, out in the world as it is right now. So, and, and bring that into the conversation so that we can then look at how do we create safe spaces? Like how can we, okay, this is, the, this is a fact. The world looks like this. We're not going to change it right now. But given that fact, how can we create little spaces like safe rooms, so to speak, where we can actually let go of some of that awareness, some of that alertness, some of that control, and, and channel all that energy into creativity and practice expressing ourselves, practicing uses, practice using our voices and our bodies and, and in the creative work, because we need to do that. We really need to do that. You, it, it, creativity is like a full body project. We need to be in it fully. We need to have access to our bodies. We need to feel safe to, to use our voices in all sorts of ways. And we, our public spaces are often not safe enough. Mm. So, so we need to find, find out what is needed. What do I need to feel safe enough to explore this?
0: Mm. Such a useful question. Yeah,
1: it is. And often it has to do, actually, I, I found, found for myself that it'll often have to do with creative, creating like women-only spaces. Mm. That's like a first. Something happens when, when we are around women. Uh, and there's permission. And there's mm. sisterhood. Mm, something happens then. And there's some... Uh, some layer of wildness (laughs) that is revealed it's it's uh, yeah i love it when it happens and that's why these days all my retreats and and the online courses all of that that's women only spaces Mm -hmm. men are i mean men are welcome to read the blog and the book and all that but in my courses i create containers for women Mm -hmm. um and i do so intentionally because i want I want to create these safe spaces that aren't, there's a rare in our world.
0: Um, So yeah. Okay. Um, I have one last question for you, which is um, obviously when you were writing the book and trying to get it ready to publish and and so on, that was such a huge piece of work to work your way through. But now that the book is out there in the world, Pick it up and hold it in your hands. How do you feel? You know, it's
1: <laughs> it's a big deal for me because I've dreamt of being a writer, you know, since I was a kid. So this physical like real, so to speak, book is not just an ebook or an audiobook, it's a real book that i can hold in my hands and that matches to me on some level that i did not expect actually mm. it's it's like i'm exaggerating a bit but it's, it's like yeah if i were to die now i would die with, <laughs> die with more peace because i know <laughs> this book is here you know i've expressed something that matches so much to me and it's there and it's available and it has its own life mm. separate from me now and that's, that's a relief. It's it's a huge thing. Even though it's not, I mean, I don't have that kind of audience to make it into a bestseller overnight or anything. It doesn't have to. It's it's like it reaches people,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it reaches women. And, and I I get feedback from all over the world, women who read this and who've been touched and who've had new thoughts and who've been inspired and encouraged by it. And, and that's... Wow, that like you said before, it's a legacy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, of course, there's a business
0: part of it. I can I can sell it now. Mm-hmm. Product. You can sell it in ten years' time as well. Exactly, and that's. Sorry, in ten years' time, uh, any kind of digital product, the platforms that those digital products sit on will have changed. You know, you would have to yes. redo them to be able to sell them. Um, but this is something yep. that's just there. Yeah it's a book it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> so anna if anybody wants to find out a bit more about you and your work where are the best places for them to look for you
1: yeah it's definitely my website on dot uh but i'm also very active in, on instagram it's anna Lovin there as well uh, and those, those two are my primary channels, the blog and, and the website with the newsletter and all that, uh, and, and my Instagram account where I tend to uh, use, the, use the stories mm-hmm. feature a lot to, to talk about creativity, of course, but also all things related to women and feminism and,
0: and all of that and being alive in the world, generally. Um, So um, I know that you have a retreat upcoming. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. There's a retreat uh, in May. I try to do one or two a year. Uh, And I do them here in Sweden. Um, And people come. I'm amazed, I'm still amazed by that, by people fly in from all over the world to join. Um, like I love creating online courses as well. I love creating online spaces for women. But there is something special about meeting in real life and spending a few days together, like intentionally exploring creativity and finding ways to, to access more flow and... And uh, to be braver with our voices and stories, I love that. It's like the most delicious part of my work.
0: <laughs> so, but, if people want to find out more details about um, this retreat or ones in the future, the websites are placed.
1: Together. Yeah, both for the online courses and the retreats. That's
0: where where everything is gathered. Okay, lovely. Well, thank you very much.